0: You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by bbbgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator and it's your one-stop source for information on giving, giving, And reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Well, this will be the second in a series of four episodes covering powerful Black women giving back. We thought we would do this to emphasize the important role that Black women play in philanthropy today and in helping us think about how we can be more impactful citizens and leaders in our organizations. You'll see that the people we feature are going to be from various professions and walks of life. And they all have a really fascinating story to tell about what engaged them in giving back and how they're going about doing it today. And by the way, each of our guests, have been previous guests on the podcast. And I want to refer you to the podcast episode in the episode link so that you can go right to that particular podcast and hear the full interview that we've had with each of these wonderful people. In this episode, we're going to hear from Dr. Una Osili, who is the Associate Dean for Research and International Programs the Ephraimson Chair in Philanthropy, Dean's Fellow at the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy, Dr. Helene Gale, who is the President of Spelman College, recently elected to the Board of Directors of the Gates Foundation, Angela Williams is the CEO of the United Way Worldwide. And Angela has had an illustrious career in business, government, and nonprofits. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Dr. Una Osili, Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. So let's just get started by asking, first, just a little bit about your background and what sort of led you to this sort of chunk of the nonprofit sector.
2: Well, thanks so much for that question. It's always fun to reflect on the whole journey. I was born in New York City and grew up in Nigeria. My mother is American. My father's Nigerian. So I grew up with two very different but very important models of generosity. My father was very generous. He educated his siblings and all his relatives, paid for them to go to school and taught us the importance of lifting up and giving to others. And my mother introduced us to formal opportunities to give and volunteer as young, kids, we volunteered at various uh, neighborhood institutions, including a senior citizen's home. And at the time, it was called a motherless baby's home at very young ages. So I grew up with important models of generosity. And fast forward the tape, when I got to college and in grad school, I had the opportunity to be involved in the nonprofit sector. As a graduate student, I obtained a PhD in economics. And my dissertation looked at collecting data about immigrants to the U.S. and how they were involved in giving back to their countries of origin. So uh, that led me to really a career focused on data in philanthropy. One challenge, as you may realize, is that that is still a new area of philanthropy that's still emerging we have in the past decade in particular made a lot of progress on collecting data on new forms of giving in particular, uh, but there's still a lot of questions that remain to be answered. At the Lilly Family School, we host a number of large-scale research projects, giving USA's one of them, but we also have the Global Philanthropy Indices, which look at philanthropy in more than 80 countries. So I think if you take both of those projects and look at them in their uh, broadest scale, broadest scope, you realize, one, that we've made a lot of progress in uh, data. And I feel uh, pretty excited about the future because there's so many new areas yet to discover.
1: Fantastic. Una, now you and I are connected to something called the Generosity Commission, which has a mission to sort of look into some of the challenges. I am co-chairing the policy and government relations work group for the Generosity Commission, along with my friend John Tyler from the Kaufman Foundation. And we have a robust group of people who will be working over the course of the next couple of years to try to get some answers around what we can do from a policy standpoint to change the shift, the trajectory of, of family giving and really looking forward to working with those folk. And what what can you say about the Generosity Commission to help our listeners really understand what that group is about and how it came about?
2: Well, it's very interesting that you raise the policy dimension because as we've talked about giving, what drives giving, what factors influence giving, we've sort of left out the role of policy so far. But it's important to note that giving is, of course, a complex decision. People give when they have the resources to give, the income, the wealth, when they're asked to give. But that policy, especially tax code in particular, can influence the timing of the gift, the amount, and the mechanisms, the vehicles that people use for making their charitable donations. One thing we have been looking at very closely at the Lilly Family School is the role that tax policy has played over time in charitable decisions. In 2017, as many of you know, uh, we enacted the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, (TCJA), and what I think most people probably recognize is that it did change the structure of the incentives that many Americans face around their charitable giving. In particular, it reduces the recognition that a lot of Americans receive for their tax contributions because prior to tax reform, about a third of Americans itemized on their taxes, which means that when we look at uh, our taxes, many more Americans were able to be recognized for their generosity within the tax code. Fast forward uh, post-TCJA, that percentage has dropped down to about 10% of Americans who are currently itemizing, and therefore less than 10%, so a minority now, a small minority of Americans who are actually receiving tax recognition for their charitable giving. So as we look ahead, one of the, uh, I think, hopeful signs is that with some of the intervention that we had, the CARES Act uh, in 2020, there was this attempt by the U.S. government to start to expand the recognition that more and more Americans are receiving with the 2020 CARES Act for their tax contributions. And I think that's important because uh, the charitable deduction is one of the oldest parts of the U.S. uh, tax code in terms of income tax. It's been around for more than 100 years. And it's also been very broad based, meaning Americans of different backgrounds can actually itemize, uh, receive a deduction for their charitable giving. And I think uh, going forward, especially for younger Americans, that has been a way of kind of learning about the importance of the charitable sector, what makes charitable giving unique. And so I guess looking ahead as far as policy proposals, that's certainly an area that I think there is a need for more action and closer look at how we can continue to find ways within the U.S. tax code to provide that recognition for generosity.
1: Dr. Helene D. Gale, President, Spelman College. Dr. Gale, your life has been one of impressive and inspiring achievement. So as to inspire others and provide a bit of role modeling, Tell us how Helene Gale, the young girl growing up in Buffalo, New York, became one of the most influential and service oriented people in the country. Tell our listeners anything about your early life that pointed you to this amazing life of service.
3: Well, thanks for that. And, you know, I guess for all of us, where we come from and the things that we uh, learned growing up. Um, Really do help to shape our lives, and i you know I feel like I was very fortunate to be born into a family um, that that felt that giving back was a part of uh, what we were put on this earth for. My parents stressed to all five of us that it was important for us to get a good education, but that we should also use that education in a way that could contribute to making the society uh, a better place and create positive social change. Yeah, I also feel fortunate that I grew up in a time in the mid to late 60s when there was so much social change going on in our nation and around the world, uh, whether it was the civil rights movement, women's liberation, liberation struggles in Africa, uh, anti-war, all of these sorts of things, large movements where people were coming together to create positive change. And so for me, as a uh, young adolescent and adolescent growing up during those times, it gave me the sense of wanting to be part of something bigger than myself. And I saw how people banding together could create really powerful social change. And so I think uh, those two things, my family influence, the influence of the times that I lived, grew up in, you know, really did have a huge impact on me wanting to be able to be part of creating positive social change.
1: You know, as I think back to my own life, I can think of specific moments that sort of set me on this particular path, uh, one of which was growing up in the YMCA movement and having great men around me who sort of shaped what I would become. As you think back, are there specific relationships or activities that you engaged in or moments that you can think back to that sort of uh, shaped you in some way that maybe you didn't even understand at the time?
3: Well, when I think back, particularly during my high school days, I was very involved in both student government at large, but also with the Black Student Union um, at the time. And I think those two Being very involved in kind of student government and really, uh, again, being around people who were trying to create in our own environment positive change. I also grew up in Buffalo around very nurturing and influential black professionals. So I saw people who were lawyers and doctors and judges and councilmen for the local district and, you know, had that group of elders around me who believed in me and my friends and really wanted to make sure that we had that sense of what was possible and that we believed in ourselves and believed that we could accomplish great things. And so I think having that village, if you will, um, that, that nurt- helped to nurture me and give me a sense of what, what the possible was made a big difference for me as well.
1: As you think about young people today, do you see that same orientation to service and giving? And if so, how can we do more to continue to inspire that and encourage that?
3: Well, I'm actually quite inspired by the younger generation. And, you know, as I have advanced on in my own career and, and age and look back, you know, there were some generations that I think really got message that it was all about what they could accumulate, how they could arrange their career, and it was very much more of a me focus. You know, today this next generation is coming along uh, perhaps because of the challenges that they grew up with do seem like a, a generation that is very socially aware, very global in their concepts, thinking about the big challenges of the day, whether it's racial justice, climate change, and the environment, all of these things that they realize if they don't make an impact, the world as they know it is, is not going to be a safe place. And so I actually am quite encouraged by the young people. I look at the many of the protests that took place right after the murder of George Floyd that were peaceful, that had young people of all races marching because they believed that we, they had a responsibility to say that they wanted a different kind of society, a society that was more just, more equitable, more fair, and more racially integrated. And so, you know, that that really was inspiring for me to see those young people who really do believe that they have a a vision and a voice in making the world a better place, uh, and particularly uh, one that is more racially just.
1: Angela Williams, President and CEO, United Way Worldwide. Tell us about you and how you got so oriented to this.
4: You know what, Art? I would actually take it back to the generation before me, and that's my parents, My dad was a Baptist pastor in Anderson, South Carolina, where I was born. My parents were very active in the civil rights movement. My dad was the head of the NAACP for the state of South Carolina. So in the 1960s grew up in this era of advocacy and civil rights and standing up for equality. And my dad was one of the pastors that sent a letter to all the clergy, white, black, You name it, all denominations to say we need to come together to integrate Anderson, South Carolina. Then my dad left Anderson and my parents agreed that he would go on active duty. So he became the fifth black chaplain in the history of the United States Navy. And then I grew up on military basis, but it has always been from the very beginning in my ethos and in my in my growing up hearing about advocacy, civil rights, giving voice to those that don't have a voice, activating and and of course service to others, service in community and that has been my in my it's in my DNA it's who I am, and so Regardless of whether I was working in the federal government or whether I was on active duty in the military or whether I was working in the corporate sector, there was always civil engagement that was part of who I was and my, I would say, extracurricular activity. And then when I discovered, when, when I worked for President Bush and President Clinton on the Katrina Fund, that there is actually a job that I could have not just as a board member but but true and a volunteer, but truly working and living in this space day in and day out it's been tremendous ever since.
1: Wow, what a career you've had, and you still <laughs> are in many ways just getting started, which we'll hear about in just a bit, but to our listeners, particularly our young listeners. You can just see how life just has its twists and turns. And we have someone here who's worked in all three sectors. You've worked in government, business and the nonprofit sector. There's not an experience really in any of these sectors that would be particularly foreign to you or even in any way frightening. And so there you are, you know, here you are now leading One of the largest, if not the largest, philanthropic uh, organization, legacy philanthropic organization in the country now and in the world, maybe. I, I, I just know you're ready for it. And I guess the board of United Way knew the same. And so how are things going now for you and for the United Way? And I should say for us, given that we depend on you all so
4: much. I am so thrilled to be here with the United Way Worldwide Network, a family of staff and volunteers that really care about what's going on in their local communities. I will tell you, Art, that when I applied for the position, I had somewhat of an understanding of United Way, and like you, growing up in my early career, I signed up. To give to the United Way out of my through payroll deduction and in the military, we gave through what's called the combined federal campaign. So I, I just remember those days of looking at the United Way booklet to see all the various charities that United Way supports. And those relationships, what I have found now that I'm actually here are still with us, and they are incredible. What I appreciate about United Way is that we have more than 45,000 corporate partners, and then we have thousands and thousands of partnerships with fellow nonprofit agencies around the world. We are a global network, but we're hyper-locally focused. And what I appreciate is that we are a trusted advisor because we have so many of these relationships and we have the ability also with government, for example, to to bring people together to the table. We were just on Capitol Hill a few weeks ago for advocacy days, and it was amazing to see congressperson after congressperson, whether it's from the House of Representatives or senators, coming to say how much... They appreciate United Way. It was, it was not just Republicans. It wasn't just Democrats. It wasn't just independents. Everybody said, we appreciate working with you. And United Way, our local United Ways, are offering services and in communities in 95% of the United States.
1: I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Heart of Giving podcast. We're featuring powerful Black women Who are giving back. Tune in for our next episode, where we'll continue the conversation with three additional leaders in our society. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to support the podcast, please do so by making a donation at give.org, G-I-V-E dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening.
0: You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode to listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.